uh, your Bibles up to the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue this morning. And, um, you know, this text, the reason that we came to this text, just to communicate just why Ephesians, you know, why the book of Ephesians. And, you know, this, this has really been heavy on our hearts for a long time, this letter that Paul wrote to these people. Because what he's doing here is he's writing to these people, uh, writing to believers to help them understand what it means to be identified in Christ and how that should affect the way that we live our life. You know, in response to that, in response to who Jesus is, in response to what Jesus has done, in response to all that he's given to us, how we should live our lives. And so Paul writes to these people, you know, he spent a lot of time with this church in Ephesus as they grew because the, this place of Ephesus was, a, was just an epicenter of just commerce and, and of people. There were multiple different types of people, multiple different types of religion. Uh, everything that came into the continent of Asia came through this major just metropolis of a city. And so when Paul establishes a church here, we see a huge foot in the door for the gospel of Jesus to get into the continent of Asia. And so Paul sees the, these people and he sees the things that they're struggling with. And, and I believe and we believe how this relates to us so much is because they would have had these same oppositions that we face here, whether it's in De Quincey or in America or in our state, whatever, in our jobs, in our families, whatever that there may be, that we face a lot of those same oppositions. And that opposition that they were facing was balancing and struggling through the identifiers in their life. Okay, what identifies me? Um, because if we're, we're honest with ourselves, um, our identification is our motivation, right? The what we're identified by motivates the way that we live. You know, because we go through many identity transitions in our life, right? We go from, you know, whether it's from a fifth grader into a sixth grader, or, you know, we, these transitions in grades were like, you know, as an eighth grader, uh, I can't think back, to, you know, that seems like forever ago, but as I think back to myself as an eighth grader, I thought I was the dog, like I, I, was, I was the man, right? I was like, I'm king of the campus. Then you go to a freshman in high school and that identity has changed, like you're not the big guy on campus anymore. Now you're the little scrub getting thrown in trash cans, like you're nobody anymore, you know? So there's these identity shifts that happen happen all throughout our lives. You know, we go from single to married and we go from married, uh, you know, we have, we go from college to a, a job in the real world and we have to make those adjustments or we go from one job to the other. And so our identity changes and so our motivations change. But what Paul is communicating to these people and what he's communicating to us in our lives that we have all these identifiers in our life that motivate us in some way, shape, or form, he's telling us that there is an identity that a believer in Christ has that saturates and transcends all of those identities in a sense of where it is the motivator of all my identifiers. Okay? Where it motivates all of my identifiers. And so Paul is writing to these people because he wants to help them understand the implications of their identification. Paul wants them to know this in all of your struggles because like for these people, a lot of them were Jews who are now Christians. You know, that they believed in God this way, but now Christ had revealed to them God this way. And then there were some who were pagans who were worshiping multiple gods. And so now they're coming to Christianity where it's this one God. So they're having these shifts and then there's these practices and all these things that they 
that they did that were ungodly. And so God is shifting their identity away from those things. And so Paul is speaking into that. And he's speaking into our lives and in the midst of who we are and where we are as far as mothers, fathers, parents, kids, you know, employees, whatever that may be. He's speaking this identity of who we are in Christ Jesus that saturates and transcends all my other identifiers to be the motivation in the midst of those identities. Okay, Because what he wants them to understand is if they understand the implications of their identification, we can confidently step into the plan and purposes that God has for our life. Right? If we can be confident about who we are, then I can confidently walk the way God has called me to walk as a believer, as a parent, as a whatever it might be. And so this morning, if, if I had to subtitle it, it would be confidence in Christ. Because if we understand anything, that is the main thing that I hope that as we lean into the text here this morning, because I believe that's why Paul was so heavy handed in this beginning, the beginning of this letter. It's because he was just wanted to drill this into their mind. Drill this into them, their minds, their identification. And so, first off, we have to ask ourselves something really quick. What does it mean to be in Christ? Okay, and the Bible mentions this a few times to really help us understand what it means to be in Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are are all one in Christ. So to be in Christ, you know, when it says that you are baptized into Christ, this is talking about baptism of the Spirit, that when the Spirit came and dwelt within us because we accepted Christ's sacrifice on our behalf as our payment, believed that we were sinners that were destined for a punishment, a debt we could not pay, and we looked to Jesus and we said, Jesus, I need you to pay that debt for me, that Jesus paid that debt, and that we were baptized and dwelt with His Spirit, and that made us in Christ. And we know that it's a spirit baptism and not a physical water baptism that puts us in Christ because of 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It's for in one spirit... For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the Spirit. So to be in Christ means that we have believed in Christ, we have trusted in Christ, and our lives are linked to Christ. Okay? We are linked to Christ, and this is huge. Okay? And this is what he's trying to help them understand, because the way we see the book of Ephesians laid out is the first three chapters are communicating in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, trying to help them understand their identity. Then the last three chapters of Ephesians are communicating as Christ. So this is who you are and this is what you do. Because you are in Christ, this is how we walk. And so this is how this book is laid out. And I believe that Paul laid it out this way because he knew that before we do anything for Jesus or as Jesus has called us to do, we have to understand who we are in Jesus. We have to understand who we are in Jesus, that we are linked to Jesus, that we, when we are in Christ, Jesus' past becomes our past. Jesus' future becomes our future. Okay? It's like a marriage. Okay? Think of it like a marriage that if, if, um, if say, me and my wife, we got married. I'm going to use her as an illustration, and she hates that. But say we got married, and so when we came into the marriage, say that she was filthy rich unbelievably rich, which was the case. She was filthy rich. She's my sugar mama, no, but she was filthy rich, and I came into the marriage just in debt, in debt up to my teeth, in debt. When we got married and we merged 
ourselves together, our bank accounts, our own, everything we owned, all those things together, her riches covered my debt. And so when we are in Christ, it is exactly like that, that we come with a rap sheet of sin that is too lengthy to read out. But when we are in Christ, His riches covers our wretchedness. Okay, it covers our wretchedness and it links us to him. And so what we have, church, and what Paul has been communicating, what we talked about last week is that identity is an identity received. It's not an identity achieved. Okay, this identity that we have is not an identity that we've owned or that we've earned. Okay, it's something that Christ through that God through Christ has given to us. And so with what Paul is wanting to communicate, and I'm going to get into the actual message here this morning. I'm just I love this text. Um, But what I think Paul is really trying to communicate in this first chapter of Ephesians is two things that we'll we'll use as points this morning to kind of communicate and to see just deep down needs that that we as human beings need to have fulfilled, okay, to find fulfillment, to find satisfaction. If you look at, you know, philosophy, sociology, psychology, you'll see these breakdowns of human needs. What are basic human needs? And obviously at the top is food and, and, and air and, you know, breathing, all those things. But then in every one of those models, what you see is that what human beings need and what our two points are going to be this morning is human beings need significance and they need certainty. They need to feel like we need to know that what I'm doing and who I am matters. And I need to know and I need to see that what I'm doing is going towards something, that there's a purpose, that there's a reason, that there's a a certainty to my life. And so Paul is communicating that to these people. And as you hear terminology that may seem so scary and that may seem so just above us, he wants us to lean in and just see the ultimate truth. Okay, to see the ultimate truth of that this book is meant to communicate redemption through Christ Jesus, by His grace, by His mercy. And let's not get hung up on some of the other things, but just see what the true point of it is. And what, uh, what we're going to see this morning, these two main points that we're going to rest into in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11-14, through 14, is that He wants to communicate our significance in Christ and the certainty that we carry in Christ. Okay? So read with me in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. We're going to pick up and we'll read down to 14 and then come back through. In Him, verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of his glory. So church, the first thing that I want us to see this morning is the significance of being in Christ. How is that significant and how in the midst of that am I significant? This is what he communicates. And in the first thing that we see here in verse 11, he says that we have obtained an inheritance. Okay? And so to understand inheritance, first we have to jump back to verse uh, verse 5 and see where he says that he predestined us for adoption. So that word inheritance is linked to our adoption. 
You know, and so if we really think about that, you know, that God has brought us into his family as, as adoption. Think about we're going to talk about the illustration of adoption a little bit more here in a second. But that illustration of adoption that he's brought us into his family for an inheritance. So think about I don't know if any of you have ever uh, researched adoption or if you've ever actually gone through the process yourself. But the process of adoption is a lot for the person doing the adopting. Right. If you know anything about it, we can we can agree on that, that adoption is difficult, that there's, it's time, uh, that it's sacrifice, that it's money, that it's emotions that are all poured into this process. And what does the person being adopted do? They do nothing, right? They've done nothing but be in need. They've done nothing but been alone or they've been done nothing but been neglected or they've done nothing but not had, but been in need of something, of someone to care for them, of someone to love for them, someone to bring them into a more stable situation maybe. And so if we try to look at what Jesus has done for us in that is that God has done that very thing for us. That he has brought us in to a family that we were not a part of and that we did not earn or deserve a place in that family. But he sought after us, that he did the sacrificing and that he brought us in so that by adoption we could have an inheritance. Okay, that we could have an inheritance. Roman 8, uh, Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And this sons applies to men and women. Of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Remember, we've talked about that word Abba before. It's, it's like a, kind of the, the, the way of, that they would say daddy. Okay, it's an intimate, uh, relational word. And so Paul is communicating here in even Romans. He says that you've been adopted into this family, into an intimate level, that you are sons of God, that when you are in Christ, you are sons of God and you, in, you have that inheritance. And so that word inheritance, it communicates a possession. Okay, it communicates an allotted portion or a heritage, something that has been given, something that has been laid aside for those who are in that family. And so we have to ask ourselves, in Jesus, in Christ, what is our inheritance? What are we inheriting? And I think there's three things that we can see that we inherit, that we inherit, that we have present inheritance and we have future inheritance. And we have present inheritance. What God has given us in Christ, the significance of our inheritance is this, is that He's given us presently a place and a purpose. That He's given us a place. And I, I love how in all through Chapters 1, 2, and 3, we see this language of we. We see this language of us. Okay, And so in Christ, what God has done is He's brought us into a family that just isn't just God, which that really is all we need is, is God, but He's brought us into this family that also includes each other. Okay, That He's connected us together in this way that only God could do. That he would take broken things and place them together to make something beautiful. That he would take broken people and place them together. And he would take people like Jews and Gentiles that the Bible talks about, slaves and free. He would take these people and put them together that maybe even had animosity against each other, that don't like each other, that have hatred towards each other. And he would resolve that and bring people together and unify people together that human will cannot do on its own. God has done that for us. He's brought us into a place. He's offered us a place in this dysfunctional family. And that's a beautiful thing because in that, the significance of that inheritance is that we are not alone. 
and that we are not the only ones that have issues, we're not the only ones that struggle, and we're not the only ones that at times feel alone and are struggling with who we are and what, where we are. He said he's brought us into a place. Okay? The second present inheritance that he's given us is a purpose. He's given us a purpose, and it says it here in, uh, in, Roman, in uh, Ephesians um, in verse 12. It says, that uh, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, might be to the praise of his glory. God has invited us into a purpose that is bigger than ourselves. And he's invited us in to join in to praising him. And I know that seems like, well, isn't he a self-centered God? Isn't that like, isn't that weird that he just brings us in just to give him glory? No, for one thing, because God is worthy of that. He's perfect and he's great and he's awesome. And he's proved it because he gave up his very self on the cross for us, but also because God is love. The Bible tells us that God himself, the very essence of God is agape love, and that if we are praising, enjoying, edifying God, we are embracing that same love, and we get to enjoy that love and rest in that love and celebrate in that love. And so when he calls us to glorify him, that's us enjoying him. Okay, when we are glorifying God, we are enjoying who God is and what He's done in the very essence of who He is. And so those are the two present inheritance, a place in His family and a purpose in that family, and then the future inheritance that He's given us as a promised land. Okay, He's given us something, guaranteed something that we are moving towards. We sang about it this morning in Psalm 169. He said, we will see your goodness. We will see your goodness in the land of the living. That is telling us of a future place where there won't be hurt, that there won't be pain, that there won't be disappointment, that there won't be sin. He is promising us that our inheritance includes that. That in that hope and confidence in that inheritance can carry us through so much that we experience in our life. You know, to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel of this hurt and this disappointment that we deal with sometimes in life, that there is light at the end of that tunnel. You know, um, and, and he communicates that to us, you know, as far as us being a part of that family, that place. Galatians 1, uh, Galatians 6, verse 1 and 10, it says, Bear one another's burdens. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, into our purpose. In John 17, 21, he says, so that the world may believe. God's given us not only a purpose for each other, but a purpose to invite other people into that. And then, like I said, the last thing being the promised land, that God has something for us beyond this that is greater than anything we'll ever experience in the present that we live in. And so that is the significance that we can celebrate in knowing that we have an inheritance. So the second thing that Paul communicates here in these verses, in verses 11 through 14, uh, and honestly through 1 through 14, because like Brother Garen said, uh, 1 through 14 is one big long sentence where he's just communicating these truths. And I believe he's just rolling these words out because he's just excited and he wants people to know this identity. And so not only are we significant or is there significance in Christ, but the second thing this morning, church, is that we can know that there's certainty that there is certainty in Christ. That as a believer, my identity in Christ allots me certainty to walk in. Okay? Because the truth of the matter is, if we can be confident in our eternity, we can endure the Christian life with certainty. 
Okay, I like rhymes. Help me remember things. We can endure the Christian life with certainty if we can know about what's ahead of us, okay? And, and so, and this is not only knowing the end result, okay? This is knowing who does the work all in the middle. There's a lot of confidence that we can have in Christ to know the certainty of what His truth tells us. Okay, and the only way that I could really illustrate this for myself, and I don't know why I went there, because it went to this place, because I've never done this, but I just thought about, you know, for me, if I were to stand at the ledge and there was a tightrope in front of me, and on the other side of that tightrope was a reward, something great and awesome that I really, really wanted. You know, I can tell you right now, not from experience, but just because I know myself, um, there is nothing that could convince me to walk around, just imagine this tightrope, a high rise, just really high, that a fall would either completely debilitate me or kill me. Let's just put that out there. It's, it's, you, it, it just seems crazy to do it, right? And so as I'm looking at this tightrope, I'm afraid. I'm afraid not only because I know my own clumsiness. My wife tells me all the time I'm like a tornado, and I just flail around, and I'm just awkward. But, you know, I look at this tightrope, and I think to myself, there's no way I can make it to the other side. As much as I want what's on the other side, there's no way I can make it across, you know. But then, some, but then say that it's told to me, well, look, Jake, there, there's, a, there's a net under the, the, the rope. So if you go out, and if you do fall, the net will catch you. But for me, there would still be a sense of fear of walking because I'm still afraid of, of falling. Even if I'm going to be called, I'm still afraid that I'm going to fall. But then I'm also, I, I, I hate the idea of the shame of me having to start back over, right? Because if you fall, I, I fall down. And so not only is there shame in falling, but then I'm going to have to go all the way back to the beginning, climb up, walk out, fall, go all the way back to the beginning, get up, walk. You, you get the idea, okay? But... And so the, the net itself is not enough confidence to, for me to walk. I'm, I'm not going to do it. But then if it was told to me, well, look, not only would there be a net that would catch you, but there's also going to be a harness that's going to hold you. That even if you lose your footing, even if you slip off, you won't fall too far where not only do you have to start over, but you'll never hit the bottom and you never have to walk back. You'll pick back up where you are and continue on wherever you've fallen. That's the kind of certainty that Paul wants to communicate to us as believers that not only has God protected us and guaranteed that we won't fall, but he tells us, he promises us that he will uphold us. Okay, he promises us that it will be by his power that we will continue on, that even in our falls and our failures, that he catches us, upholds us, not to elicit shame, not to elicit uh, disappointment, but to remind us that I'm, I'm, I'm confident I'm resting in the harness. I'm depending on the harness because I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall. And if I have confidence that I'm not going to ever fall like that, where I'm not going to hit the bottom, that I'm not going to hit the net, that I'm not going to have to start over back at square one, then that gives me confidence to walk. You know, and some people, they're afraid to, to really approach the idea of this kind of grace that God offers us because, well, won't that just, won't that just make me want to, won't I just do whatever I want to do and just be a sinner and just do all the sinful things that my heart desires? Absolutely not. Because if I had confidence in my, in, in, in my walking, that would make me want to walk, right? That doesn't give me confidence to fall. If I know there's a reward and a prize, if I really know what's on the other side, why would the protection and certainty of my walk make me want to fall? 
It's not like that. And it only comes if we truly know what God has done for us and know the prize He has for us, then we walk with that certainty and be able to rest in that even if I fall, I get back up and I walk and I continue and I keep moving. And because the thing is, if we have that mindset of I'd rather fall than walk, then we're, we're, we don't know what the prize is. We don't know really who Christ is. We're not in Christ. Colossians 2.6, he commands us. He says, as you received, walk. He's saying, walk. As you've received, walk. In 1 John 3.6, he says, no one who abides, who's seen, who has known God makes a practice of sinning. Now, it doesn't say that those who have seen, known, and abide don't sin. It says they don't make a practice of unrepentant, constant sinning. We do sin, right? We do fall, right? When you stepped out and felt the cold this morning, you probably sinned, right? Because it was stinking cold. But what he's telling us is that if we know Christ, if we know what he's done, that that gives us confidence to walk, that our confidence shouldn't contribute to falling but walking. That if I know, if I have certainty of what God plans to do for me and wants to do with me, that it's going to allow me the confidence I need to walk the Christian life. Because I know many of us, maybe some of you in here this morning, are standing at the threshold of truly walking the Christian walk in your life. And your fear of walking is hindered. I mean, your, your ability to walk is hindered by your fear of falling. That you're afraid. I, I mean, I can't get involved in the church because I'm, I'm, I'm going to fail. Like, I'm going to mess up. Like, I'm going to make mistakes. I, I, can't, I can't be committed to church and be involved and, and really be a representative of, of who Jesus is because I, I'm broken. I'm messed up. Listen, Paul understands that. And that's why he communicates us to us that it's not because of you. That this is an inheritance, that what we have, this confidence, this certainty that we have is received and not achieved. That it's not something I've done for it, that it's something He's done for me. And in Ephesians 13 through 14, we see this. And it says, In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth of the gospel of your salvation and believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until. We acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory until we acquire possession of it. That when we heard and then we believed, listen, we're hearing human responsibility in the midst of God's choosing. He says, when we heard, people have to hear the gospel. When we heard, then we responded by belief. It says that He sealed us. That He sealed us. And this is our response to His work. Our response to His work. Romans 9.11, it says, Not because of works, but because of Him who calls. God has called us into that certainty. God has called us into that family. Romans 8.28-29, it says, And we know that for those who love God, those who have believed in God, who have heard and believed, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those who He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That word conformed, that He's working on us, that it's the process of walking, that He takes us, He calls us broken and messed up, and then we believe and we love Him. And He said, because we choose Him, He's chosen us, and He's predestined us, He's sealed us, He's guaranteed it, and that He's conforming us. And what is He conforming us? In Romans 29, he says, conformed to the image of his son in Christ, linked to Christ, uh, to the image of his son. 
Um, uh, in order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. And so not only has he called us and brought us into that family, but he's elevated us to the level of firstborn. And in the ancient culture, the firstborn was a huge deal. That was who got the inheritance. That's who got the blessings. That's who got everything that the family had to offer. And God invites us as Christians into that certainty to know that that's what God has given us. And we see this play out through all these verses that God has established, that Jesus Christ fulfills, and the Spirit seals us. Okay, And so when we talk about that sealing, to be sealed, what are, what are we really talking about there? And I think the best way to understand this is, uh, is, is go to, there's a picture uh, yeah, this picture right here, um, this is more of a novelty thing now. It's not something that people use or do now. But what this is, is this, this, this ceiling is, was done, and may, it's still probably done in some way, shapes, or form, uh, for, for letters or documents or these types of things. And so what it, they would do is they would take wax, and they would melt this wax down, and they would imprint this wax with the seal or with the with the uh, with the insignia, or with the um, with the namesake of a family, or of a company, or of an organization. Okay, they would use this. Okay, they would melt it down, melt down the wax, make the imprint, and then the wax would quickly harden to secure the letter or the document, whatever it was, to secure uh, the the whatever this was. And communicate something. Communicate authenticity. To communicate authenticity. And I don't think that this is much different than what God does to us. When we hear the gospel and we respond in belief and really and, and, and believe in what he's done for us, believe in what the work that he's done, that that is God melting us. And that when the spirit of God dwells in us, he is imprinting us with his mark with God's mark, with the mark of Jesus, His namesake, and that it, the, we are sealed. It is showing that we are sealed and firm and founded in Him. And the Bible tells us that nothing, church, nothing can take us out of His hand. That nothing can remove us. That nothing can take that inheritance away. That no stupidity that we walk in, that no ignorance that we live in could ever take that away from us. That we are sealed and that we are verified in Him. And the Spirit of God does this. Romans 8 9, it says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But that what He offers us, church, what He offers the church at Ephesus, and what He offers us as believers is He offers us certainty and confidence that as we stand at the threshold of walking and talking like a believer in Jesus, that we can have that significant, we can understand the significance of being in Christ and the certainty that He has for us, that nothing changes what He's done. Nothing takes away what he's offered, that he never recants on what he's given us. That this place in his family, the purpose he's called us to, and the certainty of an inheritance does not change based off of my faulty living or my failures because I didn't gain it because I was so great and because I wasn't faulty and because I didn't have failures. And that doesn't encourage me to continue to have faults and failures. What that does, church, is that encourages me to walk 
to walk and to follow him and to, to, to allow him to lead me into the things that I have. And what this does, this identity of being in Christ, when it saturates all the other identifiers in our life, it, ex it exalts those things and it elevates those things to a level that we can never do on our own. When we really rest in and walk in the identity that we have in Christ, if you are a believer here this morning, it makes us a better parent. It makes us a better spouse. It makes us a better employee. It makes us somebody who is loving and concerned for the people around us that, that wants others to have this significance, to have this certainty in their life. Because, and then for us, we should be, be, be magnifying that in the way that we live. If we really understand this truth, why aren't we showing it? Why aren't we walking in it? Why aren't we serving in the church in that way? And church, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this, that without this significance and certainty of what Paul is communicating to the people here in Ephesus, I would not be standing before you this morning because I promise you that Jake is faulty. I have things that I fall short on. And I've, I mean, this week, I mean, I sin, church. I sin. Okay, I'm not always a great dad. I'm not always a great husband. I'm not always a great employee. But I know that Christ in me is great. And I know that he'll elevate those things. He doesn't, I don't bring God down to my level. God elevates me to his. Okay, and so when I'm falling short, when I'm falling short, God doesn't just come down and just allow it to stay there. He reaches down and picks me up. Church, and without that confidence and that certainty, we will constantly feel like we're behind the eight ball in life. We'll constantly feel like we're one step too short to do what He's called me to do, to live how He's called me to live, to be who He's called me to be, and to, to minister to my family, to people around me in the way that He's called each and every one of us as people of God to minister. Because I know maybe before we even have a spiritual conversation with somebody, we're thinking to ourselves, well, what right do I have to talk about God in the state of who I am? And God says, forget that. Forget that. You know, we should be striving for holy, blameless lives. But the fear of our failure shouldn't keep us from walking, church. The fear of our failure shouldn't keep us from leaning into people's lives and sharing Jesus with them, even if we don't exemplify Jesus perfectly. He's called us to something bigger than ourselves or our service. He's called us to live in the significance of knowing that we are in Christ and live in the certainty of knowing that He's established all things, He's fulfilled all things, and He's sealed all things in His Spirit. That when we have chosen Him, He has chosen us long before. And our past is linked to Christ. Our future is linked to Christ. And the promises that He offers Christ, we get to enjoy. Church, and so this morning, this is what I want to do. Landon, if you come up and just kind of get us a little music going. We're, I want to I kind of create a little space just for a moment before we dismiss this morning where we could lean in and truly be honest with ourselves about some of these things. You know, uh, have I truly embraced the significance of what it means to be in Christ and knowing that I'm involved, I'm in, embraced into a family of believers, that I, uh, that, that I have a purpose that God has called me to. It's not just the preacher or the Sunday school teacher or the worship leader, that God has called me to this purpose. And that in that purpose and in that walk, that there is a guarantee, that there's a promise, there's a certainty that He has, that it doesn't matter the darkness that I walk through, that there's always a light leading me through. 
Okay, that he is, you know, that word that predestined that he is determined it, that it is sealed, that when we believe it is sealed, it is determined, it is set and nothing can change that. Nothing can change that church. And that's the promises that we can celebrate. And that's really the only reason we do anything that we do here on Sunday morning is because of those very promises. If I didn't have the confidence in that, I wouldn't have the confidence to say anything out of this. Because if that were the case, my fear of failing would keep me from walking. And church, I don't want that for us. And I want us to be inviting people into that kind of confidence. That we can have a confidence in Christ that knows that there is a significance to being in Christ. That I, and a satisfaction of that significance that I could never gain from anything the world offers me. There's no relationship in this world. There's no uh, job in this world. There's no situation or amount of money that can offer us the type of significance that Christ offers us. And that there's no situation in this world that the certainty of God doesn't trump. Okay, That the certainty of God doesn't outdo. And church, that's what I want to invite us into. Not neglecting all the identifiers in your life. Okay, not neglecting those things that motivate you, the identification that is your motivation. But what I want us to be able to do is to lean in this morning, lean into the text, lean into our identification. If you're a Christian this morning, you have put your faith in the saving work of Jesus to pay your debt, that you would lean into the identification that we have in Christ and allow that to be the motivation that saturates every other identifier in our that I would be a better husband, that I would be a better father, that I would be a better employee, that I would be a better pastor because of my identity in Jesus, because that saturates all those other identifiers. And it's because of that identity that these identities are successful. And it's because of this identity that when I fail in these identities, that I'm still held up. That when I lose that job that was my identifier, I'm still held up. You know, if, 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 if my relationship with my kids is strained, that my identity as a parent and my identity in Christ is still held up. You know, when our relationship struggles in our marriages, that our, identify, our identification in Christ elevates that and allows us the strength we need to humbly step into those situations and work through things. Church, so this is my prayer for us. As we just take just a, a minute or so, we just close our eyes just to, just to eliminate distraction, just lean in for just a second. That we would ask the Lord to do a couple things in our life. Lord, first off, that you would allow me to truly see the enemy's attacks on these very needs that I have. That the enemy attacks me at my significance in you and my certainty in you. That he tells me the opposite. That he leans into my ear and he tells me that you don't have a place with God. You're not good enough for God, that you don't have a purpose with Him. There's no way. You're, you're not talented enough. You're not smart enough. There is no place for you in the purpose of God. And, and how do you know that God has a promise for you? How do you know that God has an eternity for you with Him? You know, and then the enemy leans into that certainty and tries to convince us, tries to convince us that God's not all, not all He's shaped up to be. What I want to pray this morning is that if when we have the attacks of the enemy play on our significance and certainty in Jesus, 
that we would lean into his text, that we would lean into other believers in the church and be reminded of a good God who has called us, who has predestined us, who has sealed us through our hearing and believing of the gospel in him and that nothing can take us away, nothing can change what he's done. And that that confidence would give me confidence to walk. That in spite of my fear of failure, that in spite of my fear of my ability, that I would walk in Him. Walk in Him in my parenting. Walk in Him in my uh, ministering. Walk in Him in my being a spouse. That I would walk in Him. Reaching for Him. Exemplifying Him. Allowing Him to identify me, speak for me, work through me, and carry me in all things and that I would be led in my life by this truth.